When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Book Riot Podcast, in which I had not really prepared myself for the the probably reasonable expectation that would be recording the show while votes are still being counted and results are trickling. So, somehow I was getting myself through Tuesday. You know, we recorded the bonus mm-hmm. episode. Um, we had we had a good time that day recording that episode. It was a welcome distraction to do that show and think about those shows with you. It's like, all right, we did it. Now on the other side, we'll record on Thursday and we'll at least know what the deal is. But we greet you now in here in limbo. This is what limbo yeah. feels like. It's like this is as close to like, I would say it's on par of waiting on serious medical results. It's mm-hmm. not quite that, but it's not far. But it's not far. <laughs> I agree. You know, we've, I think we've stopped saying the day and time that we're recording at the top of these shows, but it matters right. today. Yes, so it's it Thursday, November 5th. It's at 2.45 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. We're waiting on Georgia, Nevada, Arizona, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully by the time you all hear this, this will be meaningless. And I guess where we stand now, we'll do five minutes of this. I know, I'm sure you're trying to dodge this as much as you can, is that um, it's looking like, again, current trends continue situation, that Biden and Harris will win. Um, There's a whole bunch of complexity in what that win means and what it's looked Mm -hmm. like and how it shook out. Um, But uh, I think we're going to try to do a show, talk about some stuff. There's not a lot of book news, as you might expect. So we're going to do some follow-up. We're going to peruse Publishers Weekly is always the first out of the gate with their best books of the year. Usually it's like the day before Halloween. They usually get in like the last day of October um, for their November issue. And again, well, we'll talk about this in a minute, but let's let's do our first sponsor break and uh, I'll come back. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo. This is one I'm actually super excited about. I liked Lee Bardugo's other adult fantasy books. And so I'm really looking forward to this one. It's set in the Spanish Golden Age during a time of high stakes political intrigue and glittering wealth. It follows Luzia, a servant in the household of an impoverished Spanish nobleman who reveals a talent for little miracles. Her social climbing mistress demands Luzia use her gifts to win over Madrid's most powerful players. But what begins as simple amusement takes a dangerous turn. Luzia will need to use every bit of her wit and will to survive, even the help of Guillén Santangel, an immortal familiar whose own secrets could prove deadly for them both. So The Familiar by Lee Bardugo is on sale now. And like I said, it's a must read of the season. It's perfect for anyone who loves history, a little bit of magic, a lot of danger. You can get your copy now at LeeBardugoTheFamiliar.com. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of The Familiar by Lee Bardugo for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Penguin Young Readers. 
So this book I'm about to tell you about is giving five worlds meets spirited away realness. It's about a girl fighting her way back home after getting trapped in the spirit world. It follows Anzu, who's moved to a new town during Oban, a time for families to remember and celebrate their ancestors. And ever since her Abachan died, Oban has lost its magic. She doesn't feel much like celebrating anymore. So while avoiding holiday festivities, Anzu spots a stray dog down the street, a dog that seems to be staring right at her. So when she chases it, she slips and falls down a bridge, losing consciousness. And when she awakes, she's in the Shinto underworld known as Yomi. The stray dog, she finds out, is actually the gatekeeper of Yomi, and he warns her to return to the human realm before it's too late. Like I said, Miyazaki realness, um, I'm super excited for this. So make sure to pick up Anzu in the Realm of Darkness by Mai K. Nguyen. And thanks again to Penguin Young Readers for sponsoring this episode. I guess we're, I'm dropping down to the bottom, Rebecca. We're going to work our way. It's kind of like how that we're going to count me. the ballots that came in first. We're going to count them last because <laughs> that makes sense. So, so or as gonna... they've been calling them on CNN, the today ballots, the yesterday ballots, the Tuesday ballots. Yeah. I, you know, th- there's a lot we could talk about um, there, but I guess we'll try to avoid it for now. Maybe we'll do an after show for five minutes or something like that to get our get our thoughts and observations out. Anyway, Publishers Weekly, as I said, the first out of the gate, generally speaking, with the end of October, and you know, it gets dropped in our contributor Slack and our staff Slack, and I was like, "Oh, the best! How do you even know the the best books are even out yet? I haven't even read anything." Well, listen, this is Publishers Weekly. This is not what I've read this year. It's best that this is a trade magazine. They've read the books. They know what books are coming out, and a lot of bookstores use this list to develop. You know, what are we going to carry? What are we going to stock? Which I know about. What's going to get named? So. Some people, it's like Christmas creep. This is the Christmas creep of the book world. Is how close, <laughs> how, how fast is. the best books list comes out. Um, I the t- I've got some gripes about the list, not the top ten <laughs> adult they've picked, but there's ten. There's the top ten, which is the adult picks, and then they have children's mm-hmm. books broken into three categories of twenty each. So we get ten adult picks and sixty kids picks. Kids picks. I love kids. I even have a couple of them, but I need some more adult picks here. Why, why am I getting break on down by non? I, I don't understand I, this. I, Did you see this? Did I, you notice this? I noticed it. Like, and I also every year need to regripe, I guess, about the fact that Publishers Weekly limits their best books of the year picks to books they reviewed that year, and they don't review everything. So, which I mean, nobody reviews everything, yeah. but it seems so limiting that like, what if a book came and they don't really review things way after their publication date either, because that's how Publishers Weekly works. So like, it's possible a great book came out in January, or on one of those Tuesdays, let's say like, let's say a great book came out on the first Tuesday of September, which was like a right. huge new release. Mm-hmm. Uh, day this year, and you didn't have space to review that book. It's just automatically not eligible for someone yeah. to like later read it and come back to it and pick I just don't love that distinction I don't understand I don't know all the ins and outs of their editorial practices and of course like you have to have some way to narrow down a list like this I just right. don't like that particular I think they criteria. just admit it I think the problem is they're just saying the thing that's true for everyone it's like we haven't read all the books <laughs> the New York Times didn't read all the books but who's read more books than Publishers Weekly? Because Publishers Weekly is an entity, right? Yeah, like, but I think I look at it every like, week. Like everyone, no, no one has covered the waterfront. And like, what book didn't get reviewed in Publishers Weekly? That's actually a candidate. Like, I get you. I, it, it would be great, but like, there are two million ISBN issues. Two million ISBNs issued this year. 
Yeah, I I do take most issue with like we have sixty kids books here, and you couldn't even give me like ten adult fiction, to, ten adult to, nonfiction. I, right? <laughs> Like, I don't know. The, it the seems New York wild. Times at least has the decency to break their lists up like that. And I kind of like the idea of 10, right? Like, that's fun. Like, the, the Times mm-hmm. is like 100. And, you know, this is the, this is always a tricky thing. We think about this a lot. Like, how many is enough to give, like, to cover the waterfront, to have some diversity of all kinds, to have some selection, to be interesting? But then how much is it, like, now it's another list of 50 or 100 books? Like, who, who, what kind of a problem or service are we trying? Are we just giving awards? Or are we actually trying to say, mm-hmm. I lay this before you, browse <laughs> at your own leisure. There's enough here to spend some time enjoying the process without making it, like, for people who want to look at a giant list of books, right? So I, I do have some sympathy for that. Yeah, I, I get that. You know, I think the Times usually does, like, a top 10 and then the 100 notables. And there's always some interesting... Yeah you know, stuff to be found in that 100 notable books. I think they take some, they make some interesting choices or sort of push things a little bit there. But yeah, mostly I'm annoyed that we only get 10 here, but then kind of delighted that none of these 10 were, um, I mean, other than Isabel Wilkerson. I was going to say, I was saying, wait, 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 wait. There's the one. None, yeah, none of these 10 were like big blockbuster books that were buzzy, big buzzy blockbuster Mm. books that people talked about a ton um and it's cool to see that as a reminder of how many great books there are in a year but also that nine of these 10 are books that are sort of getting publicity boosts by placement mm-hmm. on this list and weren't already sort of in that echo chamber of things that we've been talking about um and, and it, it, we're not going to touch the children's book list i don't think except i'll shout uh, ways to make sunshine by renee watson which i've talked about mm-hmm. before on the show that i was glad to see in the middle grade list which is one of three 20 book lists um just just to say that's picture books middle grade and young adult. Um, there's a link in the show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. All of these are unsigned. My other gripe is in the year of our Lord 2020, these are slideshows. I don't know why we're doing this. I, I don't understand. I, there's, I see the banners reloading and I get it. I, I get it. But everyone is, cl- I'd love to see what the you CTR is. On anyway. the list. I know. But click to see, I know. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm just glad there's at least the option to see the whole list. Yeah. So the list is, the address book uh, by Deirdre Mask, which is what street what street addresses reveal about wealth, race, identity, and power. I didn't get those that series right. I was doing it from memory, and I realized as I was looking at the title, <laughs> the, the, the the list is a little bit different. Nonfiction um, debut, um, Bluebeard's First Wife by Ha Seong Nan, which is a book in translation. Uh, short stories. It, short stories in translation, which is. A huge get for a book like this. It's a bold this. move, Cotton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkinson, one of the two books I've read on this. It's wonderful, magisterial, you know, goes up there. The Dragons and the the Dragons, the Giant, the Women, which is a memoir by Way to Moore, which is on my list from Grey Wolf. Um, it's a memoir, folktale about growing up in Liberia, or being born in Liberia, coming to Texas, and then moving to Brooklyn. Um, I'm really looking forward to this. Kind of sounds like a memoir version of a, of a Yeah, Jesse novel, kind of. Like, you could <laughs> see this as the, the blurb for a Yeah, Jesse novel. Homeland Elegies uh, by Ayad Akhtar, um, which is a novel. And they said, this year's great American novel, which is autofiction, which like all fiction is now, which is sort of right. like loosely based on uh, events there. Um, immigrants from Pakistan, um, and his father was uh, served as a Donald Trump's daughter, 
doctor at one point. And I'm not sure if that's true or that where the fiction, where the auto yeah. um, blurs there. The other book I read on this list is The Last Great Road Bomb by Hector Tobar, which I loved from as, uh, MCD. It's narrative nonfiction. Um, I don't even know really. It's a weird book. Um, it's about a writer that no one's ever heard of called Joe Sanderson, who's sort of like Diet Hemingway. Mm. Um, and died fighting um, in El Salvador with like guerrilla resistance fighters. So I, I, I wish I, maybe at that, when you get to our books of the year, talk about the year of reading, this one I haven't had a chance to talk about. And I, when I saw it come out in Publishers Weekly is the first time I saw it. And I read the starred blurb and I was like, what is this? And it is <laughs> an interesting book for sure. Um, so that one I can personally recommend. The Price of Peace, uh, biography of John Maynard Keynes by Zachary D. Carter. Um, and then a saint from Texas by Edmund White, who Edmund White, the way they always package Edmund White's books feels like he should have been dead for 60 years. It, it always really looks like does. it's a reissue of a New Yorker writer. Mm-hmm. Even the name Edmund White sounds like you were a talk of the town writer in 1931 in the New Yorker. Um, but it's his most recent book, um, A Saint from Texas. That is the, oh, I'm sorry. And I missed one at the end, two at the end, uh, below the, below the ads. Sisters by Daisy Johnson, um, which is kind of a horror book. That has one yeah. of these um, Helvetica titles with weird photo collage. I feel like it's like it reminds me of a Jenny Offal cover um, right there. Mm-hmm. And then Unworthy Republic: The Dispossession of Native Americans and the Road to Indian Territory by Claudio Sant. Um, so that's the list. I think this is a super nerdy list, which I yes. appreciate very much. <laughs> I'm not sure this is the kind of list that. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure what a list is supposed to do. I guess unless it's supposed to be like, here are the books you've already heard of and remind you they came out this year. Um, this is a discovery list for me. I mean, geez yeah. Louise, I, I think this is wonderful I, stuff. Yeah, I agree. It is a super nerdy list. It's interesting. Like, I think from a reader service question, it's interesting to ask, like, what are they trying to achieve by selecting yeah. these 10? And I think it has to be discovery and it's more like these are 10 great books that we think should get more attention and Mm -hmm. even I think probably because of what 2020 has been like you know Isabel Wilkerson is a name but 2020 has been rough and you know publicity tours were not the same this year and I think this book needs to be widely read like this is the one on the list that's most likely to have name recognition among a general it's got an Oprah's book club sticker on it for Pete's sake right it needs you know you always need more people reading Isabel Mm -hmm. Wilkerson Uh, but the rest of them were like I had heard of the Ayat Akhtar and I think I saw some publicity for Sisters by Daisy Johnson. But the rest of these, I think, were news to me. And when a book is news to us, yeah, <laughs> like in the work that we do, and it's made it onto a Best Books of the Year list, I think that's really interesting. And it's a nice change of pace from what will largely be repetitive and then ultimately predictable Best Books of the Year lists. Like by the time mm-hmm. we get to the end of December most of the titles are going to be like things that we could all pretty much guess, I think, on right. those lists. So it's nice to see something different. Um, I'm going to go straight out and order Bluebeard's First Wife. Yeah, I think the dragons, the the giant, the women are is going to be next up for me. I, I am super curious about um, the address book, too. Um, mm-hmm. That sounds kind of my allies. I'm, I'm Maybe there's another... This is the kind of list, this is a list for 
people who read Publishers Weekly, which sounds like yeah. a tautology, right? But like, I read Publishers Weekly, I look at the reviews every week, and I keep track of what the best books are. But like, this is like, these are the ones you maybe didn't highlight. Like, you've you've mm-hmm. seen the big books, like you've seen what the other books are. No, are we going to gripe that Transcendent Kingdom, The Vanishing Half, you know, Taking King Kong, like those are lists I'm expecting to see on best novels of the year list. Mm-hmm. I don't really have, like, there's no right or wrong answers largely here. So I'm not going to gripe that I'm going to see this. I know about these books. So for me, yeah, this is kind of what I, for, this is a list for me almost, right? Like there's a two that I've read that sort of like are the, ta- the social proof. Okay, if you put those two on, those were great. So I'm going to trust you with these other eight. So it did that thing of ticking the box. It's like, it's not so mm-hmm. obscure that I'm like, I don't know what this stuff is. Like you're giving right. me, um, you know, zines, uh, poetry zines from uh, Albuquerque or something. Yeah. But like, yeah, I like it. I like the list. I like it too. I think it's a nice unspoken acknowledgement if this is what they're doing. In fact, that like there are like like the titles that you listed, you know, Transcendent Kingdom, The Vanishing Half. There are books of the year that are going to be favorites and bests for really good reasons. And they're going to mm-hmm. end up on a ton of lists for also really good reasons because the editors of all those publications want to highlight them and encourage yeah. more people to read them. And right. like, we're, we're going to be one of those publications that does that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I would bet money right now that those titles end up on Book Riot's best of the year list yep, that I we're not too. in control of. <laughs> mm-hmm. And seeing, you know, an editorial group or whoever, however they decide this final list at Publishers Weekly, acknowledge there are a bunch of great books this year that are going to get a ton of attention. And we could take this space and give some real estate and some highlighting to books that aren't getting a bunch of attention elsewhere, but that are just as worthy and good, because there are certainly more than 10 good books in a year. And having those repetitive lists serves one kind of function for publicity, but doing something like this um, introduces folks to new things. And I think that's really it's interesting and it's like it's the like antithesis of clickbait you know which i really love but if you get the headline on facebook of like the publisher's weekly best books of the year and it is one of the first lists maybe the um initial interaction feels like clickbait but then you land here and they're like surprise these Mm -hmm. are nerdy and i like that what do you think is the most this is not gonna I, i don't mean this to be condescending at all though you can hear with my um uh, preemptive disclaimer that it's going to sound like, what do you think the massest market book list is? Like, what's the one where it's kind of like meant for the people who will pick up a few books a year, but that's kind of it. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. I want to read some more books. What are the books? Is it like Entertainment Weekly? I guess that's the one that's that jumps what, to mind. Yeah. Entertainment Weekly is what I was going to say. I don't know if People Magazine does a books of the oh, year list. I know they feature books in the content, but... Yeah. I don't know if they have a list. I would say Entertainment Weekly is probably the broadest, like yeah. just general entertainment publication that covers books and will do a list. Right. Maybe yeah. like mm, Esquire, but that's more targeted USA towards USA Today. Male readers. Like that's in all the hotels, mm. you know, right? It's, it's just there with your bad yeah. coffee. Right. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah. And so I think it's really interesting. And actually, we're going to, we should preview what our next bonus episode is going to be because it's kind of related to this. And maybe we can crowdsource some titles to consider, Rebecca, here. But let's do a, mm. a sponsor break. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Charming, easygoing, and rich, Xavier Castillo has the world at his fingertips. He also has no interest in taking over his family's empire, but that hasn't stopped women from throwing themselves at him, unless, of course, the woman in question is his publicist. 
the cool, the intelligent, the ambitious Sloan Kensington, who is a high-powered publicist who's used to dealing with difficult clients, but none infuriate or tempt her more than a certain billionaire heir with his stupid dimples and laid-back attitude. She may be forced to work with him, but she'll never fall for him because he's a client and that's all he'll ever be, right? Right, girl, like we all know. So just in case you didn't know, author Anna Wong is the best-selling author and book talk viral author of the Twisted Love series, the King of Sin series. Miss Wong, gotta go on on, okay? Make sure to check out King of Sloth by Anna Wong. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. So sometime between now and some other time, what is time? Uh, sometime between now and some other time, we're going to record our next bonus episode, and we're going to do buy, sell, and hold on notable books from 2020. So these aren't our favorite books. They're not even the best books, but what are the books that are out there in the zeitgeist? And do we think that over time, their stock is going to go up or down are going to kind of stay where it is. I've started, have you scratched out a list at all, Rebecca? Have you in started this at brain, all? In my brain, but not like in my bear app yet. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the one that's on this list that was already on mine was Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. Mm-hmm. I have that on my list to, to, to buy, sell, and hold. I think, you know, I already mentioned The Vanishing Half. Um, I mentioned Deacon King Kong. Um, I mentioned Transcendent Kingdom. Um, we're not going to, we're going to do the spirit of the calendar, not the actual calendar. And I'm going to include such a fun age by Kylie Reed, all things you've heard us talk about on the show in various contexts. What are the books that are contenders to be books that will be remembered from 2020? And then do we think the conventional wisdom or their, their place right now is going to increase, decrease, or kind of hold steady? Um, are there any that were top of mind that like we have to talk about? Cause there's, I'm not sure there's that many that we have to talk about. Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know that there's any that we really super have to talk about. There hasn't really mm-hmm. been a controversial book of the year. Incorrect. Like, I'm thinking, I wonder if you were going to say American <laughs> Dirt. Oh, I completely forgot. Well, that, cause it feels American like it was five Dirt. years ago because it was before right. COVID. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Sell. What? I'm sorry. What'd you yeah, say? Right. Yes. Yeah. I was right. like, are we even going to bother talking? Well, about that? I don't know. I mean, it's not that interesting. I'm. We can get it. We'll get over with right now. We're selling that. Shorting it. Yeah. We're gonna, all the way. We're gonna, we, all we the sold short. It a short. while back. Yeah. Right. 
Yeah. Other than that, like, I think maybe there's a lump category of the Trump books with some uh, nuance between them of which ones are more or less likely to be Mm -hmm. relevant still 20 years from now. Um, By the time we record that episode, hopefully we will know about this election and that outcome may have some impact on on how the different titles look too. Um, Oh, that's an interesting note, Rebecca, because like, let's say Biden wins, then this tranche of books you maybe would be willing to buy more than you would because it's over. The Trump presidency is over. Whereas if we're getting another mm-hmm. knock on salt, um, right? Trump four years, then this middle, it's just kind of in the middle. We're not even done. We're not even, the, it's not the beginning. It's not the end. It's just, we've got four more to go. So the, the centrality of those to the story of the Trump presidency is in the balance. I mean, yeah. of the things it's like number 10,000 of importance, but right. there we are. <laughs> yeah, I thought I might also go back through the lists that we made, especially the mm-hmm. list we did, I think, back in January of um, the spring preview and see yes. what were we talking about like before COVID happened and before we knew yeah. how long 2020 was going to be. What books did we think were going to be a big deal and, and where are we sitting on some of those now? Um, but I had just kind of just started to noodle. Yeah. So I'm going to keep my secrets. Um if you've got things that we're missing, things you think would be good candidates for discussion, again, you won't have too much time. But if you get on it, you know, Sunday night, Monday, when this comes out and have a title you think would be a good candidate for discussion for us to buy, sell, hold podcast at bookriot.com. I guess the other thing is we've started to get a few holiday recommendation requests coming mm-hmm. in. Um Still enough that if you get them in pretty soon, you know, you don't have to hurry. Well, we're in November. We're like a few weeks away from recording, probably. I'd start getting those in. Um, Again, it's a small sample size. I'm not sure these are are going to represent the ballots from Clark County, the late arriving provisional ballots from Clark County or whatever. Mm -hmm. But a lot of for me's so far this year. And again, it's uh, maybe the people who got in first are thinking of themselves first before they're thinking (laughs) of uh, their others. But I was, again, we love to see it. No shade. We do. I love a treat yourself recommendation. Yeah, yeah. So get that into us soon. Um, you want to talk about the 92nd Street Y podcast uh, for a minute? Sure. Yeah, since we mentioned, uh, I think it was la- I think it was last week. Yeah, <laughs> My sense of knows? time is real screwed up right now. Uh, the, the 92nd Street Y had done, uh, is has released a recording of Ethan Hawke reading Gilead. Um, mm. I've been happily continuing to be in touch with folks there. And I learned this morning that they have a podcast uh, that started earlier during uh, COVID called Read By. And the setup is the finest writers read the work that matters to them. Read By is mm. an R-E-A-D, by. Um, so some of the writers that you can hear on this podcast talking about books or work that matters to them and then reading selections of it include, like, there's some good names here. Eileen Miles, Ada Limone, Elizabeth Strout, Jennifer mm. Egan, Ann Carson, Leslie Jameson, mm. Garth Greenwell, Luis Alberto Urea, David Mitchell, Claudia Rankine, Roxane Gay, Louise Erdrich, Elif Batuman, Michael Shaben. Lauren Groff, Billy Collins, Colm Tobin, George Saunders, mm. Ann Patchett. Good list. Good list. Bunch of episodes. Looks like they do a couple a week um, since March, or they started with a couple of week and have now been doing about one a week. So that's called Red By. Looks, you know, you can find it 
on your podcatcher of choice from our pals at the 92nd Street Y. Um, I'm going to be checking out some of these, I think. I like that. I like this setup. There's one by Billy Collins of, you know, folks, interesting folks talking about books mm-hmm. they love. It's like someone should do a podcast about that. And um, then getting to read selections of it, I think, is really cool. Um, so I'm going to give that a shot. And thanks to our friends over there for sending it my way. Yeah, we're going to depend on your feedback this week. We're getting into it now. Um, there's not a lot of news. Is there any other news we want to hit before we get into listener feedback? Because we can we can spread this as you know. Let's talk real quick about. Um, there's a, one of these stories we want to keep an eye on. We don't want to get swept under the rug. But uh, parents sue in New York, uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina charter school, calling poet X an assault on Christianity. Um, this is a story by Michael Gordon in the Charlotte Observer. Uh, Poet X is a novel by Elizabeth Acevedo where a fictional 15-year-old heroine basically comes of age. And one of the things she comes of age about is religion. Um, There's a federal lawsuit filed Wednesday. So this is different than someone at a school board with a a latte, you know, kind of waving around. Um, The federal courts removed the book from their child's classroom. It's overtly anti-Christian and that the public school's endorsement and use of the novel violates constitutional safeguards against government infringement of religion. Um, the Huntsville school said it will not censure Poet X and that it offered the family the option to have their child read a different book, but that the Kobols refuse. This is the family. So, again, we've heard these stories before. More than anything, I like to... I like to categorize. I, I like to. Um, we like to highlight these. We like to Streisand effect these a little bit, which is mm-hmm. get in the way of these people trying to silence something by reminding people that the Poet X is the National Book Award winning book. And if you've got a teen out there that likes books, um, this is a wonderful book. It's got like nine gold embossed awards on it that I can't even read. One of the most acclaimed young adult works. Of recent memory, frankly. Yeah. So there we go. Um, you know, may your efforts only, fail, Kobols. I don't know what to tell may you. May your efforts fail. It's. I think this piece is worth reading. This yes. is a piece from the Charlotte Observer, written by Michael Gordon, that notes. I want to go back to this. That it's. They argue that the school's endorsement and use of the novel violates constitutional safeguards against government infringement of religion. And I just want to say, I hope that they never learn about how much classic literature talks about Christianity, because if this novel violates Mm -hmm. that safeguard, then all those classic books that they probably really care about also violate that. And then we can't have the kids reading about Christianity either. There's some really um, kind of like astonishing in the um, in the way that these always are. And like the boldness of the language that's just kind of bonkers that like actually makes it into the lawsuit. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't this was not the week for me to read a piece like this. (laughs) But may your efforts fail mightily, John and Robin Coble. Yeah, I mean, there's some language that's quoted here about how this teenager is saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure I need Jesus, a friend I just don't think I need anymore, right? It's it's very like coming to terms with doubt, and this is how it's described in the lawsuit as a frontal assault on Christian beliefs and values. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, this is stupid. <laughs> the people doing this are stupid. 
this is bad. This no one can understand this from anyone who cares about expression or understanding ideas or really what it means to be human in the world. Frankly, um, I think it's I think it's a real shame that this happens, and we'll turn it around and say, "Go out and buy Poet X." Yes. Go out, recommend it to your school. Um, I hope this fails and the the school did the thing which I'm not even sure they should have done but they did anyway of alter, of offering an alternate and they still turned it down. So I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I think uh, my flip reading of this is stand strong and may your efforts succeed Huntersville yeah. School District. That's right. That's right. Um I will say that the there were other parents pressing to remove the book. It's been taught for 2 years. The school's leaders and then the board refused to change. So good job, mm-hmm. school teachers and leaders in the school board. I know yes. that cannot be easy. I know it cannot be easy to stand up for this kind of stuff. Um, and so, I, you know, well done. And at least two other folks out there in the universe uh, applaud your efforts there. Yes. Okay. Whew. Um, another thing just to keep on the radar from the news front, HMH is putting its trade division up for sale. For those of you who don't speak publishing fluently, what that means is HMH, which is, you know, it's it's not among the top tier publishers, but it's not among the middle. Like it's kind of in this weird middle ground between independent non-big five and then the bigger publishers is looking to divest its trade publication. That means this kind of stuff you and I are buying at the bookstore, right, Rebecca? This, mm-hmm. They're trying to become a technology, education, learning-focused company. They think that's what their core competency is. I could certainly understand that. Um, but it did make me, it did give me, it did remind me that of the major publishers, none of them are part of a company whose primary business is books. Your Harper Collins, your mm-hmm. Shimon and Schuster's, your Penguin Random Houses, um, your Hachette's—all those are part of giant conglomerates. Uh, so is Macmillan, um, and you have to get down to like Workman, source books that are whole—you know—they're book companies. And how even among the, the top tier in terms of volume, I should say—I'm not saying about quality or anything else—the top terms of volume and sales, it's like a side gig for these other giant conglomerations which is sometimes hard to remember and that like yeah we're just gonna get rid of her again i'm sure it's not this clip but like that hmh who i think of as hmh is their trade like Mm -hmm. we're gonna spin that off and that's gonna go somewhere else which means now that hmh hmh's trade and all of simon and schuster right now are on the shopping block which is kind of a big deal it feels like for that much um of the industry to be uh, up for grabs and we've speculated and wondered about what the fate of uh, sns will be um, I think the COVID situation has really put, mm-hmm. you know, breaks on what that's going to be. But like that's of a of a of a pie that doesn't have that many slices. Those are two pretty big ones to be uh, on the dining room table. Um, someone wants to yeah. gobble them up. It's going to be interesting to see if it sells and to whom. Certainly. And to whom? Yeah, and for I, I don't actually know what kind of list we're talking about. Honestly, it's hard right. to keep those. Um, things uh separate all right let's do a break and then we're going to run through some some listener feedback today's episode is brought to you by underlined 
haven't read a Natasha Preston thriller yet, we dare you to try. She's known for her line of chilling young adult suspense novels like The Cellar and The Fear. The New York Times and USA Today bestselling author excels at putting fear into the hearts of her readers. So her newest book titled The Dare is about five friends whose senior prank goes very, very wrong. This is the perfect graduation season read for thriller fans who can handle a good scare. The Dare is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more about it at getunderlined.com. So again, this young adult thriller is about five friends with a prank that goes wrong. There are dark secrets, a twisty plot, and creepy I know what you did last summer vibes. So if you, you know, it's graduation season, you want to revel in that, but like make it scary. You know what I mean? Pick up The Dare by Natasha Preston. And thanks again to Underline for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bloom Books. Taming Seven is an epic and unforgettable love story in the international bestselling and TikTok phenomenon, The Boys of Tom and series from Chloe Walsh. So Tommen's cheekiest lad, Jared Gibsy Gibson, has always been a comedian, but inside he is haunted by events of the past and he uses humor to cope, hiding his true self from the world. Then you have Claire Biggs, who is the epitome of sunshine. She's always loved Gibsy, her brother's friend and her favorite neighbor. She also has always seen a side to him that no one else seems to notice, and she becomes determined to tame her wild-at-heart childhood best friend. So The Boys of Tom and Series is an internationally best-selling YA romance series that has taken TikTok by storm. It's perfect for readers looking for new adult slash crossover romance, dual point of views, friends to lovers, marathon worthy TikTok books, and angsty tearjerkers. Taming Seven is published today and it's the fifth book in the series. So make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Bloom Books for sponsoring this episode. Um, this from Lizzie, a nice long email kind of responding to our discussion of the strand, specifically the, Mm. how many bites of the apple of we need help do you get to do before it becomes the boy who cried, um, uh, help me (laughs) wolf. Jeez. Good Lord. A little rough here on November 5th. Man, oh man, oh Um, (laughs) And she's saying, you know, I think maybe more than you might think, especially if you repackage the ask. So she's talking, she worked in a bookstore mm. for a long time. It was in, in a, it was um, a college town and they did all kinds of different things that were basically asks, but presented in different ways, which I thought was interesting. And, and at some point it bleeds over with what is programming that people pay for versus mm-hmm. what is just, can you give us some stuff because you like us? But I thought that was kind of a good way of thinking about how people think about patronage, right? Sometimes it might just be, remember, you can order from us and let's put some wood behind this area and and try to get us through the time. Some of it can be we provide services and events that sometimes are paid, sometimes are multiple asks given at a different time. I will say, however, that this bookstore eventually went out of business. So maybe it's, you know, maybe there are a number of times um, that can be asked. But I, I thought it was good context to say, you know, a lot of what a bookstore does could be construed or thought of practically as an ask of some kind. That's not just about buying books right then, right there, whether you're buying the merch or you're giving gift cards or whatever else it might be. I thought that was really um, good feedback from Lizzie. She also had a pick that I wish I would have thought of for the adaptation game of how to Ooh. live safely in a science, science fictional universe yes. by Charles Yu. 
which we both read. It's been a while, time travel romp oh, and feelings and great, and on great right? Yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't have That's many... That's a good pick, Lizzie. We didn't have many sci-fi. We're not huge. You and I are not you huge know, sci-fi readers, so we tend not to pick those. And I think we've talked at least offline, probably on the show at some point too, about our shared appreciation of saga, but not... Yes much certainty that it could be done well as an adaptation or that it really needs to be like how that universe exists on the page is so good and detailed and weird. And it would be really mm. hard to bring it to life. I think I'd be really nervous about a saga adaptation. I had that on my list to think of talk about though. We had talked about it before as like maybe one of, you know, the, that one of the great, like Mount Rushmore's unadapted franchises. Um, mm-hmm. Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples, the writer and illustrator of that, own the, they own the underlining IP, which is unusual for this kind of a situation um, for a series. Uh, and I think they have been very careful not to... I don't think they care. Is my, they don't care. Mm-hmm. I think it would be hard to do yeah. um, well, uh, but... I would subscribe to whatever service it was on if ever it showed mm-hmm. up. Oh, I have adaptation follow up from our yes, list I show. do too. A listener sent us the same thing, but you tell me about it because I know yeah, where you're going with this. So the secret history mm-hmm. had been uh, the rights had been sold or had been optioned multiple times, including by like fancy people like Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah. and had made it through various stages of progress before just not quite happening and Mm. the rights reverted to donna tart in 2013 and since then she has expressed that she's basically not interested in selling them i don't think the goldfinch is going to give her much uh confidence much incentive incentive to do it i agree (laughs) um very tough yeah weirdly the piece that i found like when i googled you know Donna Tartt's secret history adaptation uh, was from, I think, Town and Country magazine, which good job on your search engine optimization, I guess, for that. Uh, But noted also that, you know, Tartt is a pretty reclusive author. Mm. She doesn't like to be on the publicity circuit. She only does it when she really has to. Her books have sold well enough that she doesn't have to like do the dog and pony show a whole lot. And she would prefer to just like sit and chill and write her books. And all of the like rigmarole around making a movie, I think is just completely, it sounds like it's completely unappealing to her. Which makes you wonder how the goldfinch happened then. Like now, now I want that now the because that makes sense. I like know knowing a little about what we don't know about Donna Tart, it makes sense that she's not in the adaptation game. So who talked her into the Goldfinch? Maybe maybe yeah, someone wrote made question. her a Godfather offer because it was selling and blah blah blah, and someone wanted to do it. But um, I don't think that's going to tip the scales in the favor of the secret yeah, history you know, anytime the, soon. The only thing that I took maybe a little raised eyebrow with at in the town and country piece, which I'll have to double check and find the link for the show notes um, was that, you know, there's usually a sweet spot after a book comes out where if you're going to do an adaptation, you can release it somewhere in that sweet spot and there's enough attention and the book is present enough in people's minds that they're into it. But I don't think that there's really an expiration date on desire for a secret history adaptation. The book has been out for more than 20 years. People love it. It's re-readable. It's, I think, continues to be recommended down through. There's now like a second, at least, generation of readers discovering it. And I, I think you could drop an adaptation of that I at any time. I completely and agree. If it, yeah, if it were good, it would not matter how long it's been. 
Yeah. The other one that was in that category, now we're just doing this apparently, then mm-hmm. I think I remember it's getting, it had gotten optioned and who knows where it is, but the Night Circus by Aaron Morgenstern oh, is in that God, category yeah. too. It's like- No expiration No date. expiration date. I'll take it whenever it comes. Um, I guess I'd prefer them to be done right, whatever that means. Like the Night mm-hmm. Circus needs to be very stylized and beautiful and that wouldn't be cheap to do. The Secret History you could do relatively inexpensively on like a college campus or something like yeah. that. But like- you know, the, the, there's there's plenty of stuff to do. We kind of left off things we talked about before, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. So those are a couple of follow-ups. We got a couple of follow-ups in that room. Someone said, I couldn't believe you talked about the Night Circus. Like, well, it's almost like, duh. Um, but you're right. That's one that we both have talked about before. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about author substacks and Patreons and stuff for a minute? Because we, we talked oh, yeah, about prices and everything about that. A couple of recommendations in pricing. Um, Jamie Attenberg has a new one, newish one. This is from Anne called craft talk mm. um and the script subscription is five bucks a month and it doesn't say exactly what you get but um it's she, um and says she's happy to do it wants to support the author and just be involved with anything that they do recommended um thanks Anne, for writing and and she said some nice words about us that would be um ungentlemanly to to, <laughs> to brag about uh joanna um, like Samantha Irby's Substack. That's Ooh, about books, snacks, that. and softcore. Um, <laughs> she also recaps episodes of Judd and Mathis. This sounds like a very Samantha Irby mood. <laughs> it really does. In, in the whole. Um, doesn't say the pricing. Uh, Joanne also subscribes to Cheryl Strayed's Substack. Mm. Um, and she also says she puts her cream in the mug first and then adds the yes. coffee without a spoon, like an animal. Her words, <laughs> not mine. <laughs> Come on over. Paula. Um, let's see. Four authors on Patreon. And okay. it costs her about 20-ish US a month. That's You know, it says USD. They're not uh, from, from uh-huh. around these parts. She's from the UK. Um, NK Jemison. that's currently closed. Not accepting new Patreon, Patreons, patrons. Um, because she said, uh, NK said that she doesn't need any more. Nice. And she's going to use a lot of the money from her Patreon to fund other authors she follows on Patreon. So she's going to like be a conduit, which is the, like that sounds like a very Jemison move, right? Oh, that's yeah. well, super I mean, smart got and that generous. MacArthur grant now. When you got five hundred large, you could just you know you can make it rain. Uh, Nilo Hopkinson love... has. I'm sorry, go. You would say something. About I was going to say I love that idea of taking yeah. her Patreon money and using it to help other writers. That's yeah. great. Nilo Hopkinson. <laughs> Um, updates on what she's working on, arts projects. Recently, she made a lamp out of a sprinkler fitting and some other things and recipes. Cool. Zen Cho sends writing up sh- updates, a DVD commentary on some of her works, which I think is super smart, like using it like that way of a, thinking of like getting the, the behind the scenes thing of things that are out there. News, ask me anything, deleted scenes from the books, so, you know, like mm-hmm. manuscript edits kind of stuff. I don't think I've That's heard cool. of that quite before. And this is a name I don't know, so I'm, I'm sorry about the pronunciation because I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong. Alette de Bodard, um, mm-hmm. writing updates, recipes, joyful things. Um, and then there's multiple tiers, which includes excerpts from works in progress, possibly. Uh, so that's an interesting interesting list that people sent us, um, which is really, really, really cool. Uh, let's see. We we did after show 
follow up about this telling by Cheryl Strayed and that whole line of Mm -hmm. audible singles that's under what was the name of the anthology that they broke like what do you remember off the top of your head no it's uh hang on you look it up while Melinda wrote us she's saying you know I was listening she was listening to the podcast now and let us know that this telling by Cheryl Strayed are available in ebook form which is not clear because if you're an audible they they don't Amazon will tell you if an Audible thing is available, but Audible will not tell you if a Kindle thing is available as an Audible original, which is an insanely infuriating situation to be. And there are one or two bucks um, okay. that you could get as Kindle stories as well. What's the name of this have, anthology okay. that's not an anthology or whatever? So yeah, Audible has this telling by Cheryl Strayed under a collection called Out of Line, Women on the Verge of a Breakthrough. And mm. so each of these is what happens when women step out of line and take control of their own stories. And as I think you mentioned last week, there's one by also Roxanne Gay, uh, Caroline Kepnes, Lisa Coe, on and on. So you can buy on Audible the Cheryl Strayed This Telling for $1.39 or one credit. You can buy Roxanne Gay's Graceful Burden for $1.39 or one credit. You can buy Sweet Virginia by Caroline Kepnes for $1.39 or one credit. Or... Jeff O'Neill, you can buy the anthology called Out of Line that has all, I think, eight stories in it for twelve twenty four, or one credit. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know who the target customer is here. People are bad at math, I'm, I think. Yeah, um, like, what? Like, if you have your Audible credits, like the only place I could get to is like maybe they're hoping that people who subscribe to Audible mm-hmm. will be interested in this, but not enough to give up a credit unless they're going to get the whole anthology. So they'll just pony up an extra dollar thirty nine, and any one of these that they sell is an extra dollar thirty nine of like incremental revenue that they got out of that customer who's normally just a monthly subscriber. Otherwise, I don't get it. It reminds me of this story. Um, and we're really off the page here. It's the day. I don't know what to tell you. It reminds me of the story. My friend <laughs> Is anybody Jeremy, on the page right now? <laughs> Jeremy and I and Michelle, one, my friend Jeremy and I and Michelle were in one of these Bluebird Fall New York days before kids. We're just bumming around the city, going to bar. You know, we're going to bars. We're looking in shops. You know, it's like, it's like we're in a freaking Nora Ephron movie. It's great. So we go into this <laughs> bar and middle of the afternoon on a Sunday afternoon mm. and the special on the drinks is a drink called ass juice right <laughs> which you know we're having one of those days we're talkative <laughs> and we're like what's that it's like well we take the ends of the things from the bottles from the night before <laughs> and dump it all into a pitcher oh boy and you can get that like okay I think I had this in college once yep uh-huh. yeah and we're like, okay. And the special was so there's so you know a tumbler on the rocks is three dollars, <laughs> or three for ten dollars. <laughs> and we're like, three dollars <laughs> each, or three for ten dollars. And you know what? We said, screw it. Give us three, three for ten dollars. <laughs> we sat down and drank ash juice. Three for ten dollars. And how was that? You know, the story was better than the drink. Uh, I believe that. And it's not a great story. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm realizing as you're telling it that it's um, maybe a slightly better story to me because I also have the joy of knowing Jeremy a little bit. And I'm hearing, like, I'm imagining Jeremy's telling of this story in his, you know, in Jeremy's accent and dramatic 
pretty Yeah, he would actually tell it as a story. It's not just like an offhanded, once-remembered thing. But it's a but fond memory. But they got memory. you. They got you I 10 guess bucks. Just, just because we're like, let's roll this dice and, and see how we go. Um, so anyway, maybe they're, maybe they're trying to ask juice us here with Kennedy. I'll <laughs> just get the whole thing. I'll buy <laughs> one off. I don't know. <laughs> the, the slogan of 2020. Yeah, right. So anyway, there's that. Kara wrote in with more audible follow-up about um, these stories. She says, you also can read them for free or listen to them on free for audio if you are an Amazon Prime men- member. Which is also completely non-discoverable here. So I don't know what's going on um, over there with this particular strategy, but let's let's just say if anyone from Audible is listening, we're having trouble. We, Maybe not do it questions. this way again. Very, very big questions. Um, let's see. Graham wrote in to um, follow up on our mutual admiration for the great British baking show. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And said, there. He recommends Mary Berry's autobiography. Oh. So, for those of you who have been long time or have done the whole thing, Mary Berry was the original anti-Paul Hollywood. Um, <laughs> it's called Recipe for Life. Very conversational in tone, and it's like she's sitting beside you, just telling you about her life. And I gotta tell you, Graham, I ordered that book. So I'm going to read Mary Barrow's <laughs> you know, autobiography. I just, I'm into it. I'm into it. Thank you so uh, much for writing in. So I thought I should pass that along to everyone else. I'm anxiously awaiting your recap of that. And it sounds very appealing. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's see. What else do we have here? I think that's people talk. Oh, very nice things. I just want to say, Megan, thank you for writing um, in and saying nice things about the show. Who else do I want to shout out while we're here? We're going to make everyone feel good who, who wrote into us recently. Um, Lonnie wrote in with a very long uh, Costanza-esque airing of grievances about various book, physical book manifestations. Um, let's just say that Lanny likes, she likes it straight, the book. She doesn't want deckled edges. She doesn't no want French edges. flaps. She doesn't want saddle mm-hmm. stitches. She doesn't want... Just give me the naked paper core of the book, I think is what <laughs> Lanny is really asking for. God bless you. Oh, we should God do bless an airing you, Lanny. of grievances episode. <laughs> she also... This one I do agree with. Um, bring back summaries on the back of books rather than the blurbs. Do we need nine blurbs? Yes. Can you tell me what the book's about without having to open up the flap and look at it? <sighs> Completely agree with you, know, you there. I'm so with you there, and the th- like. One of the things I keep waiting for is the death of blurbs. <laughs> like someday, re- someday, the general reader will discover that blurbs are an emperor's no clothes. The emperor's no clothes. <laughs> they are the emperor's, emperor's no clothes. clothes. They are the clothes that do not exist on the emperor. Yeah, it's an emperor's new clothes situation. Yes. They don't really mean much. Just, yeah, I agree. Tell me what the book is about. If Rebecca, you are queen of reading, that would go as would um, physical galleys. They would all go. Yep. They'd all be mm-hmm. swept away in the, the Shinsky regime mm-hmm. uh, of reading. Um, <laughs> the Shinsky regime of publishing. <laughs> yes. We get, uh, we, we get a Terry Tempest Williamson book every year. <laughs> It's weird, though, Lonnie, um, not to psychologize you at all, but here we go. She doesn't, like, she doesn't like the flaps and the decals and the dust jacket, but she says, if I'm paying for a physical book, I want those little extra touches. 
patterned end papers, embossing, matte cover with a gloss metallic accent, or at least a little bit of a filigree or drawing. I think I think when you talk to your therapy ne- therapist next, Lanny, this distinction between cross saddle stitching and deckled edges versus metallic embossing. I think you've got something there. That, that's a that's a key. That's, that, use that. Explore that. Talk more about that. There's something no there. I don't the know deckle, what it is. But yes to the filigree. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting today. move. <laughs> but you know, paddle your own canoe. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm just saying that you know that's 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 fertile territory. That's there's some close reading that can be done also, here. Also, does it even exist? Like, can you find a hardcover with fill with a filigree situation that doesn't have a deckled edge? Or vice versa. Lonnie, anyone out there listening, (laughs) if you've got the perfect format of print book that you could make all your print reading, take a a photo picture, (laughs) get your daguerreotype out. Get your daguerreotype out. Maybe like one of those sun things you do with leaves when you're a kid where you like do a shadow. No, take a picture of your ideal physical book and email to us at podcast at bookriot.com and, and we will and we will judge you no, we'll talk about it and see. Because I think there's something here. If you had to choose one format an of a book for all your reading, what would you choose and why? Do I have an answer? Mm-hmm. You know, to be honest, a standard hardback with no fussiness on the decals. No decals, standard hardback. I like a dust jacket. I don't know why. That That's fine. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'm, I think, leaning in that direction also. Mm-hmm. A good standard hardback. I used to be anti-dust jacket, or sometimes I largely still am. Like, I'll take it gets in my way. I'll take it off just to yeah. like not have to mess around with it when I'm reading. But I'm not. That's, it's like a, that's why it's called a jacket. You can take it off. It's right. not a dust you prison. You can just you can take it off. Anyway, <laughs> it's not a book straight jacket. Yeah, it's not um, a dust maiden. <laughs> goodness but i'm not like i'm not fastidious about my books so i'm constantly like i dog ear things i will just leave the pen that i was holding in as a book marker or Mm. whatever and i have come around to i'm pretty sure that the flaps on dust jackets are just intended to be used as makeshift bookmarks you just fold it It into the page it has to be and then when you cross the meridian of the book you move from the front flap to the back yep Mm -hmm. that's exactly what you do that's how it's done that's how so also a then a paperback with french flaps becomes more appealing because it has a built-in bookmark as well oh and lanny says she didn't i don't think she knew the word for french flaps but that's what that is lanny when you have a paperback that has the the flaps those are called french flaps um, for anyone else that may not know that, that's a term of art. Those just, I don't like those just because I feel like you're an in-between state there. Hard, hardback, lean into being a hardback or lean into being a paperback. So there you go. Um, hmm. Yeah, there you go. Um, okay. Let's see anything else I want to get to. Yeah. That was a follow-up to Lori's earlier question. So that's kind of back at a lot more people saying, please do, you've got mail for an episode. Trust, mm-hmm. we will do this at some point. I don't know yeah, when. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it'll it's be a, a different feed. <laughs> it's just a question of when. 
So thank you for all of you who said yes, please to win Harry Met Sally and You've Got Mail. Um, I think a lot of people also said that, um, who have also done Nora Ephron, a lot. There was a few people saying, yeah, if you've, if you've, Nora Ephron's writing is great, but if you've done Nora Ephron movies, you've got a pretty good representation of what the Ephron okay. situation is. So it's like, if you want to do, if you wish there were more Nora Ephron movies, go read the books. Uh, but I don't think you get much of a different sensibility there. I think that's a show. We mostly did it. Did it sound like we were trying to figure out how to get through an hour of podcasting? Because that, my friends, is one hour of podcasting. I think it also is going to be the show title. Now that I say it, one hour of podcast. <laughs> my only, the only other one I had written down was when you said knock on salt. So. <laughs> I don't think the drink we drank three for a dollar could be the title. But no. that would be funny, too. Sorry if your kids are in the car while we're talking about it. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. It's one of those days. Um, shoot us an email, podcast at bookride.com. Please do take a picture of your ideal format. Shoot us an email, too, if you'd like to get on the queue, as they say in Merry Old, for holiday recommendation requests. And that's all we want to hear. No, anything else, you, you can uh, find us there. And then uh, bo- po- bookriot.com slash listen <laughs> is where the show notes are. We we should quit while we're at least not behind. <laughs> we should quit is really what you're saying. I think we shall. Look, Rebecca, thank 3 you. Yeah. It's 3.30. Yeah. It's Thursday, 3:30. November 5th. I'm, I'm cooked. Like, I know. It's election day three. <laughs> okay. Next week. Hope it's over. Hang in there, folks. <laughs>